Bless you. Thank you. Mm. Amen. So, <laughs> she insisted on bringing this thing out today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you both. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I um, I want to thank you for letting me uh, share with your children. We really do appreciate your children here. Um, I think our building, our ministry is really very welcoming to children. I think we try to communicate that. I was mentioning this morning in the um, in the uh, licensing and ordination process. There's a question they ask at the very end. They ask. I didn't get it right this morning, and Pastor Judy corrected me. She was actually on my committee when I was going through my interview. And they ask, are you, a safe, are you safe to be around children and other vulnerable people? And I thought, that's a good question, it's a, and it's a sobering question. But it's the kind of thing that um, it's important, because clearly there's some places that aren't safe, some people that aren't. But our church here really uh, welcomes and values your children. And thank you for letting me have uh, time to... I speak to them myself, and I've enjoyed getting to know your children, many of them anyway, over the last six years. I also wanted to point out, if you didn't see, there was a story uh, that um, NPR did, about a four-and-a-half-minute segment that aired on, um, on All Things Considered. Really wonderful piece they did on our church, and uh, if, you get a, if you haven't heard it, you can find it online, and uh, I think it was really very special. We're not doing this ministry for people to put us on the radio. But if there's something that we're doing that God is honoring and he's glorified in the midst, then we certainly are eager for people to know about that. And we want people to be encouraged in their faith as well and challenged that there can be a good way to do ministry. Um, Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you for so much. We've heard already in song and we've been singing and testifying about your goodness about you being there even when the night is falling on us. Lord, when it's hard times, we still confess your good and your mercies endure forever. We confess it and we believe it even at moments we don't see it or feel it, but we know in the long run, you show yourself and demonstrate your faithfulness. You provide what we need at the right time. You answer our prayers. You give us uh, the desires of our hearts even. And Lord, even though we are waiting and it seems like a long time to us, it's not a long time to you. And we thank you, Lord, that things work together even for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, if we don't see the good right now, help us to hold on so we can see the good. And Lord, I pray now that you would help me to communicate from the truth of your word, that we would be encouraged, stimulated, challenged even today. And I pray that you would help me, um, the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart, that they be acceptable in your sight. You are our strength. Scripture says you are a rock. You are a redeemer. We give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a word that occurs in the scripture passage for today that kind of screams out to me. And it's the word approved. Now, it's such a loaded word. I, I, I feel that people are always searching for approval in some way or another and don't always know how to get it. Now, for me, you know, I, I started the interview process when I was 50, uh, interview process for this church. And uh, now I've been in, you know, I'm 
57, I'm almost 58 now. And uh, I've gained a lot of weight since I've been in Minnesota. Clearly, I'm self-conscious about this. You know, I was, I was thinking, Sister Vida, since you're right on the front row, you know, it crossed my mind, not about my weight, because I don't think anything's going to happen at this moment. That, but we did buy those, those things to, you know, shock. Anyway, I'm just kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I was really thinking about you when Doreen was up here. I said, well, your mid- midwife is like right there. I, I'm sure you were watching everything. I was like, yeah, I, we have a plan, she said. I, like, I know that. <laughs> Amen. But I think about how, I, how, I, how I'm looking, because in my 40s, I felt pretty good. I was in the gym all the time. I was there six, seven days a week. I still go to the gym, but I'm not as confident when I go there. And I somehow have associated approval with physical appearance at times. You know, will people like me based on how I look? I mean, there's a lot of context where we're looking for approval. I remember over 36 years ago, I went to Arizona to meet Susan's parents for the first time because we were getting close to engagement. I wanted their approval. I hope I got it, but it's kind of moot now. It's been 36 years. In the process of buying a house, there are tons, almost literally tons of paper that gets filled out, passed along, signed, verified, so that we can be approved for buying that piece of property. Many situations require us to seek approval. Now, some of you know my story. I won't elaborate on it, but of growing up in a little storefront church in Queens, New York. And I've talked about this from time to time, but I don't have the time to describe everything related to that experience. But I grew up in a a little church, and theologically, they believed that baptism was necessary for your salvation. So it wasn't something you did after confessing faith or, or coming to faith. You did it to become saved. So the water was always in the pool, and you could get same-day service if you came forward. And I did when I was 13. Yes, I got same-day service. And, uh, and, uh, and if you don't come out the water speaking in tongues, then they want you to come to the prayer meeting and speak in tongues because they believe speaking in tongues was evidence of your salvation, not a second blessing. Now, basic Pentecostal charismatic theology says speaking in tongues is a sign of a second blessing. Some even have called it that, the second blessing of, of being filled with the Spirit. That's a theological idea in, in, in Pentecostalism. In this church I grew up in, if you didn't speak in tongues, you weren't even saved. So it wasn't a second blessing. You didn't have anything. So you were just wet. So, <laughs> so I was encouraged to go to these tarry services every Wednesday. We call them tarry because of the King James. You know, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. So I went to the tarry services faithfully because I was that kind of kid. So I went and, uh, and, and uh, we were taught to pray a certain way. You had to say, Jesus, 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 real fast. Or say, hallelujah, 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 really fast. And if you said it fast enough, you get tongue-tied. Now, now I, I was the scientific-minded kid, and I guess I still am. I mean, I have an engineering degree in chemical engineering. I like things to kind of, you know, fit together. And they told me I could speak in a language I never learned in school. And I'm like, that's awesome. Because I was... Ta- I was taking French at the time, and I was pretty good at it. And I thought, I could learn a language that I ne- don't have to take to school. I, so I'm, I'm all in. So I'm coming to the prayer meetings, and I'm doing whatever they tell me to do. So the people praying over me are saying, say Jesus. And then that wasn't working after about an hour. So they say, say hallelujah. So I was like, hallelujah, 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 really fast, right? Now, this wasn't one night, folks. This is week after week or week after my, of my life. I've got a lot of stories. And we don't have time for you to tell. I mean, one of them was... 
was in the summer of 1977. Some of you know, Spike Lee made a whole movie about it. That was the Son of Sam summer, and the lights went out in New York. And I remember we were praying in that church, praying, and the lights went out. It was dark in there, and we kept on, those of us who were tearing, we kept on praying. And I remember that night when we left, we thought it was just the church, and people went down to check the fuses. Fuses, for those of you old enough, fuse box. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. Anyway, it wasn't the fuse box. We opened the door, and the street lights were out. All the lights were out. Um, I, I went to revival services. I was in church more than a normal teenager uh, would be in church. But, but it wasn't like I was wasting my time. I was memorizing Bible passages. I was, I, if they did a quiz thing, they always wanted Dennis on their team because I had memorized Bible passages. I knew the answers to these questions, but I wasn't getting saved. 14 years old, 15 years old, 16 years old, 7, 18, 19, I'm in college, and I'm, I can't figure out why God won't save me. Now, it's not like I said I went one or two times. I'm in church a lot. And every time I'd ask the pastor, why wouldn't I get saved? He said, we haven't repented. I read, repented of what? You don't allow us to even do anything. We can't, <laughs> we can't go to the movies. I, w- I was tentative to ask a girl out on a date because just going on a date, you know, that, that was like, ooh. You know, it was like, all kind of, you can't, you, there's nothing we could do. And I was thinking, so what am I repenting? So I would, I would say, Lord, I repent. I said, I don't even know what I did wrong, but I'm repenting. <laughs> and I spent hours of my life. Now, when I tell other people this story, they often think what's missing was I just didn't understand how to speak in tongues. I think they're missing the point. When I tell people this story, the issue for me was how I felt that I was trying to earn God's love. I was trying to earn God's acceptance, God's approval. The word approval is going to be in the text. We're going to read it in a few minutes. But it's not used like that. And I want to stress that because you're going to hear the word. And I want you to keep in mind that approved here isn't about being loved or accepted. The word approved here is actually used in its older, more original sense. It simply means genuine, tried and true, or even proven. The idea is something that has already demonstrated its reliability. Paul is describing a worker who knows what they're doing and can demonstrate their faithfulness and reliability to God and to others. This worker is already loved and accepted by God, and Paul wants Timothy to demonstrate his faith like a good worker. So now let's look at the text, 2 Timothy chapter 2, as we continue our study in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Remind them of this and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words which does no good, but only ruins those who are listening. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. Avoid profane chatter, for it will lead people into more and more impiety, and their talk will spread like gangrene, Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth by claiming that the resurrection has already taken place. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are utensils not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for special use, some for ordinary 
All who cleanse themselves of the things I have mentioned will become special utensils, dedicated and useful to the owner of the house, ready for every good work. Shun youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with stupid and senseless controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone, an apt teacher, patient, correcting opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant that they will repent and come to know the truth and that they may escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Lord blesses the reading of his word. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I pointed out how Paul stressed that Timothy not be ashamed of the gospel or of Paul's imprisonment. Shame, honor, they are related to how others might view us. And here's the word in the text again, not ashamed. How people view us and the status we might have in their eyes. But Paul wants us to get our status from our relationship with God through Jesus and to demonstrate that status through faithful attitudes and faithful actions. So today's message is about what an approved or faithful worker looks like. So we can think of Paul's focus in terms of the way we use certain body parts, you might say. First, our tongue, having to do with how we speak. Our hands, how we act and our hearts, how we are motivated. I mentioned a few weeks ago that the older I've gotten, the less interested I am in winning theological arguments. I used to eagerly take on the Watchtower folks when they knocked on my door. I've had Latter-day Saints folks stop at my door, and we went back and forth a bit. And those conversations never seemed to go very far. And when they couldn't counter my arguments, they wanted me to come to the kingdom hall or come to their meetings. And I thought, why do I want to do that? I mean, you're the one stuck answering my questions. Why do I want to go to your place? And over the years, I've frequently been confronted after worship services, usually by men. And they come at me with their Bibles right at the door. And all I'm trying to do is shake hands. And they got the pages flipping already. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I see it coming. They're mad about something. And they don't even know. Much of the time, I've read those passages already in Hebrew and Greek. And I have more questions than they have. Just not the same questions all the time. (laughs) And I've discovered that many of those conversations aren't about arriving at the truth. They're about trying to prove the other person wrong. And to borrow from Sweet Brown of six years ago, ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) Now, if you notice in verses 14 to 19, Paul does focus on speech, how we spend our time talking. So he tells his son, Timothy, son in the ministry, stop fighting over words. Now, back in chapter one, he already told Timothy to hold to sound teaching. Here he's saying that trivial debates can have a detrimental effect on those who are listening. And I've seen that happen. I've seen people arguing theological stuff, and the novice is there confused, and it's not helpful. He's not telling Timothy to be quiet, however, but he's telling him to use his words in a better way. He tells Timothy to do his best to demonstrate his genuineness before God and others. Do your best as a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed This genuineness is related to speech. That faithful worker will teach God's word accurately. The old King James says, study to shew thyself approved. We think Paul has just head knowledge in mind, 
So this verse gets, got preached almost every graduation Sunday or anything that had to do with students. People pull out 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show that self-approved. Um, that's not, not bad, but the word study doesn't mean uh, now what it meant then. The word behind this word study has, more than what, has in mind more than what we do with our heads. I'll try to, try to illustrate a little bit. There's an old chorus that says, gonna lay down my burden down by the riverside, right down by the riverside, down by the riverside. Gonna lay down my burden down by the riverside. Gonna study war no more. So study in that context, that old context, is not about head knowledge, right? It's not a song saying, I'm not going to crack open a book and read about war anymore. It's the study in that context means devoting myself to it, committing myself to it. I'm not going to commit to war anymore is the way that song. In fact, this word here in the text is typically translated the same way in the NIV and the, and the NRSV and modern translations as be diligent, or you'll see the phrase make every effort. Those, that's, the, that's the word that's used here. And that's what Paul is trying to convey here. He's making the case that it takes devotion to the Lord to become a proven servant of the Lord. It takes diligence. It takes our best effort. It isn't just about our heads. Now, when it comes to speaking, I know public speakers do things differently. And you've probably picked up on how seriously for me I do take these scriptures. But there are speakers I know who are better at drumming up enthusiasm. They spin good stories. They can exaggerate the truth and get us excited. And I, you know, and I get that. Some of them don't even use the Bible at all, except there's maybe a jumping off point so they can get into what they really want to talk about. And some people throw together a message in a short amount of time because they're really good on style. Um, but the substance is really shallow. And I get that. But I realize for me, 2 Timothy 2.15 became sort of a life verse. And I don't think it takes much psychoanalysis to see that because of the church of my childhood and their strange interpretations of scripture, I pretty much devoted my whole life to trying to interpret scripture correctly. And this is what he says. He says, make every effort. The old King James says to rightly divide the word of truth. NIV says correctly handle. I read from the NRSV today that says rightly explain. You get the idea. We want to explain what God's word says, not what we want it to say or what pops into our heads at the moment. And I want to be, be clear here because, you know, I only got a few weeks, le weeks left, so I've been, you know, trying to shoot straight. Some Christians, they have mocked me and my devotion to scripture at times making light of serious study. Because I know Christians who think that the Holy Spirit will simply put the words into your head as to what scripture means. This is not even what scripture says about itself. The Holy Spirit plays a part for sure. But as I've said many times, the Holy Spirit does not bless laziness. So the basic idea of verse 15 is that God calls us to make every effort, to be diligent, to expend energy, to use our heads, to open our hearts, to eliminate distractions, to honor the word so that we can teach it. Amen. So, and I, I tend to push Bible study because I find life through God's word. I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God of the Bible. But it is the Bible that helps me to know God better. So the Bible is my gateway to, to understanding Jesus and, and, and to know that Jesus is God in the flesh. Both the Old and New Testaments point me to a better relationship to the God of the universe. 
So, so I try not to use my tongue to get into trivial arguments. I do use my tongue to teach God's word. And Paul says here, not to use our tongues for worthless, foolish, profane, godless chatter. That's the meaning of those words there. Paul has been naming names in this letter, which I find interesting. We're only in chapter two, and he's already called out several people, some for good, some for not so good. So I guess, you know, last letter, he's in prison. He might die. He clearly doesn't mind calling out some people for their errors. So he mentions these guys we don't know, Hymenaeus and Philetus. He said they were spreading false teaching. Godless profane chatter then can, can include everything ranging from bad theology to gossip even. Godless and profane chatter. Godless talk spreads like gangrene. And that's no joke. I keep getting surprised at things that should no longer surprise me. And, uh, and I'm pretty much over surprises about certain things. Like I'm not jaded, it's just experience. But one of the things that does surprise me from time to time is how quickly gossip spreads in Christian circles. You know, after I arrived here over six years ago, there was gossip starting to spread around me and about what I was going to get rid of and who I was going to fire and all sorts of drama. And I was like, really? I'm just trying to remember how to get from my house to the office and find Cub Foods. And I was like, this, I, I didn't really have any nefarious plans in mind. But, but that approval thing started to kick in. And I started to worry about who was I offending and how was I going to get approval? All that gossip can spread like gangrene. And gangrene is nasty, folks. I mean, it causes body parts to be amputated. Get, the, get that imagery? A body part to be cut off. I don't know how to stop gossip. And Paul is, is saying here not to waste your words. A faithful worker, a reliable disciple, doesn't have the time to waste on foolish arguments or godless chatter. It's still going to happen. So my hope for you as we go through this transition is to keep on praying and for the prayer warriors to pray against gossip, pray against theological error, pray against any other kind of profane speech, because that stuff can tear a ministry down a million times faster than it takes to build one up. Amen. So our tongues can help demonstrate our approved status before God, and so can our hands. Now, I'm using hands, they call it synecdoche, where you use part of something to describe the whole. So my hands, I'm saying, are a shortcut of saying our bodies, our whole selves. We want to use our whole selves to glorify God. And Paul uses a picture. He says there in a the house, there's fancy utensils, gold and silver, and there's ordinary ones, clay and wood. And he says, some are used for special things, some for ordinary things. It's like your grandmother's fine china. You don't use that for the 4th of July picnic. I mean, if you do, just once. Because <laughs> you may never have a chance to touch those things ever again. Paul says we're like fine china, dedicated for special purposes, for good work. If we are dedicated utensils, his word, if we're dedicated utensils, we need to eliminate those things that would soil us. Paul says, shun youthful passions. Every now and then I remember hymns. Y'all know that about me. But there is an old hymn that we don't sing anymore. And actually, this is, this is one that can be retired. But it was, it's called, um, yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you, some other to win. Do y'all know that one? Actually, you can retire it because the next line is, is kind of sexist. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. But there's another verse that says, Shun evil compassions, bad language disdain. 
God's name hold in reverence, nor take it in vain. Anyway, it comes from this, this one. Shun uh, evil compassions. Here, shun youthful passions. I don't know the difference between a youthful passion and an old person passion. And that word passion is, tr- is usually translated lust in other parts of the Bible. So, so, but I imagine that a youthful lust could impact an old person too. And I think youthful lust seem to focus on sex as well as winning the approval of wrong people. Every movie you see about teenagers and young people, it's about sex and finding the approval of somebody. And it's often young men informed by graphic and sometimes brutal pornographic images who don't even know how to treat women, don't know how to respect or talk to women. Avoiding youthful lust might mean not giving into the temptations of a sexualized society, which ancient Rome was just like ours. And these temptations include making others sexual objects or thinking that sexual fulfillment is the main goal of a relationship when in reality it's only part of a relationship. Youthful lust, they can refer to the desire to gain acceptance by a group, even, even to the point of doing something wrong to get that acceptance. I mean, gangs provide condi- conditional acceptance that appeals to youthful lust. Materialism can be the result of youthful lust. We think our clothes or our possessions will make us acceptable to others. As I prepare to leave, I'm trying to be as direct as I can. Too many ministers fall because of sex, money, or lust for power and control, youthful passions. We've seen this. We're seeing it play out with the great Willow Creek Church right now. I mean, if you're following any of the evangelical chatter, they're trying to decipher what, what went wrong and, and how the Board of Elders seemed to cover up things that, that Pastor Bill Hybels was doing where he was crossing some lines. And it's like, it makes our head scratch because that church was a model in so many ways, particularly of leadership. I said before that we will often excuse bad behavior if people can attract a crowd. And we've seen that happen. But at some point, it'll become evident that that kind of leadership is built on a house of cards. It can come crashing down, and we've seen it happen. Extramarital marital affairs, sexual harassment, embezzlement, some other form of greed or manipulation. I think it's safe to classify those things as youthful lusts, even though older people can fall victim as well. So I want to say right now that while I say those words as words of caution, I also want to say words of thanksgiving. Because your pastor's here. We have little or no involvement with your financial matters. Now, I know there's churches where some pastors want to know everything. They want you to show your tax return, even though the president won't show his. We're not like that here. I mean, very few people know what you give, and it's not us pastors. And we're also circumspect about counseling people. I remember years ago when I was on Capitol Hill as a young pastor, I I was an associate and became the lead pastor, so I took the senior pastor's office. And this is in the 90s. This is before these things were standard. There was no opening in his door. So I asked, could I have a different door or have a glass window in there? And the the custodial person, he put a, a... glass window in there, really nice job. And I even asked the uh, secretary that whenever I was counseling a woman, could you just come by a few times and you know, peek into the office? And, and I was a young guy, but I was trying to cover myself in what way. Now it's sort of standard. You don't, you don't have closed doors like that. But 
I, I do at times meet with women. I'll even ride with women in the car. I don't have a, a hard rule like that, like some pastors do. But I do try to exercise wisdom, and much of it depends on the level of relationship that I have with this person. But I have to say that your pastors and elders at the sanctuary are some awesome people when it comes to integrity in their work and family life. Yeah, amen. <clears throat> These are the kind of leaders that Paul is talking about. I'm going to shout him out. There's Pastor Edrin. He grew up in the South, and you know him as a hospitable and a gentlemanly young man. He's a big guy, and he's a gentle giant. Pastor Mike is a warm soul that you can talk to. Pastor Rose is a sensitive and thoughtful, capable person. There's Mark Jensen, Joe Watson, Jenny Olson, Vida Kent, Daniel Shannon, Erica Jensen, Amy Benning, Rachel Hunt, Nicole Smith, Alicia Phillips, until recently, Tom Lockermeyer on the elder board that I've worked with the last couple of years or so, most of them, or for the last couple of years at least. And I, I got to give a special shout out right now to, to um, Elder Mark Jensen. Now, he, temperament wise, we're totally opposite. I'm, I'm wired more like his wife, Janine, and I don't know if they were here to, at all today, but, but Janine, she posts funny things on Facebook about him because we know Mark is the kind of guy he's got 100 ideas at one time. Everything's flying, all cylinders. He speaks whatever he's thinking right off the top of his head and all of that. And, uh, but I love how emotional healthy this guy is. I mean, because I've been in meetings where it got a little tense or we were processing something and Mark will stop us and say, well, I, how are you feeling about this? Or do you need to say anything about this? this is, that's emotional, healthy leadership. I have not always experienced that. I've experienced being in a room where people are tense and it just keeps on going. We leave the room with the tension. It doesn't get resolved. Then it can grow and fester, right? I want to say I appreciate Mark and his leadership on that level. And we got to keep him on task. He will tell you. I mean, he can be all over the place. Brother Joe has got to like get back on the clock here. But I've appreciated the genuineness. Now, of course, no one's perfect. But Paul says that a servant can't be controlled by youthful lust. Instead, energy should be put into the virtues that he goes on, virtues that will build people up. So the tongues, we already talked about tongues, not wasting time and foolish arguments, but giving a good uh, teaching. And then when it comes to behavior, he says, not focused on the sins of our youth, but on what builds people up. So Paul says, pursue then righteousness, love, faith, and peace, he says. I mean, it could be a sermon on each of those virtues. Uh, that word righteousness could also be translated justice. So he's saying those are the things to focus your energy on. You know, there's a pastor I'm connected to on social media, and he shared this recently. He said, one of my sermon clips has been making the rounds on Facebook. Some people really don't like it. He said a little bit more, and then he says, the comments have been hysterical. One guy said, I wish I could choke this guy out. And when I went on his page, his bio said, Christ-like. <laughs> See, this pretty much gets at what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Because even in disagreement, we can pursue justice, faith, love, and peace, especially among fellow believers of Jesus. But sadly, we're in a very polarized time, and even Christians can't agree on what is just, faithful, loving, and peaceful. But there's one more body part. I mentioned the tongue. I mentioned our hands, our behavior. Now I want to mention our heart, because it's really always about our heart. We really can't behave the way we want if we're unwilling to let the Lord soften and transform our hearts. 
At the end of verse 22, Paul says that our behavior should flow from a pure heart. And then in verse 24, he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone, an apt teacher, patient. That kind of patient spirit flows from a pure heart, he's saying. And he goes on to say that non-quarrelsome, kind, patient teaching will lead some people to repent. And that means turn to God. And this is interesting. Paul says over in Romans, the kindness of God leads to repentance. So we just read that about God, the kindness of God leads to repentance. Then we read it about the servant of God, how the kind, gentle, non-combative uh, kind of person can lead to repentance. But we don't believe it. We think it's anger, meanness, judgmental posture, and scolding that will lead people to repentance. I mean, that's how we act. That's how I grew up. And there are preachers who still think that's the case. And they will see kindness as weakness. Now, look, I told you, I'm telling you about myself on my way out here. I try to be honest and not to get too carried away here, but I want to be a capable, capable teacher. This is what I strive to do. I strive to be kind and patient because early in our marriage, I hurt Susan's feelings quite a bit. And I realized part of it, not all of it, but part of it had to do with my New York bluntness. And uh, she did, really did not like living in New York. She said, people aren't very friendly here. <laughs> she was crying our first few. Anyway, I'm going to tell her business. But anyway, <laughs> but I was contributing to the problem, I think. <laughs> so over the years, I've, I've tempered myself. And some would say too much so, but I've tempered myself. And I rarely say all that I'm thinking. Now, I don't want to be, you know, Minnesota passive aggressive about it. But I have worked on being patient and not argumentative. And I know some people view that as a weakness in me, and, and, and I, I understand it. They see, you know, my slower pace. I have a methodical behavior. They see it as tentative and lacking conviction. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe I project that to some people. I, I, I suspect that. But in reality, I'm simply trying to exercise self-restraint, patience, kindness, and a spirit of gentleness, because I think I'm bright enough to understand what's going on. It's just that I don't want to respond to crazy with crazy, because... That <laughs> That's not going to get you anywhere. <laughs> and I've been like that. I've, when I was a younger pastor, somebody said something, I was like ready to back. And, and I was like, <laughs> my kids were like, sometimes, you know, I could be a smart aleck and I can come right back at you. And I said, Lord, I, I just can't be that way. Part of the challenge of emotional, healthy spirituality, at least for me, is being honest about my feelings, being comfortable with how God made me and having discernment on how much to share and how to share. So basically, I think Paul is getting at this. He's getting at an emotional, healthy spirituality, even in this ancient context, because he's writing about the heart of a leader, non-quarrelsome, kind, able to teach, gentle. And at this point of our history, we are polarized in the American church. And I'll just be straight. A lot of it relates to the fact that some Christians are celebrating a president who displays none of those virtues I just read but I know the president is not the Christian leader of the world. I, I know that. And I don't even expect the president to have to be a Christian. But, but it sends kind of a mixed message to the world when evangelicals say they highly value the scriptures. They read the words that I just read about Christian leadership, non-quarrelsome, kind, able to teach, patient, and then come downright combative when it comes to their politics. And I think I get the goal. I know we want a Supreme Court to go to a certain way. I think I get the goal of conservative Christianity. But at what price? What price? Now, I don't, I don't have to be a prophet to tell you 
that increasing numbers of people are identifying themselves as having no religion. They didn't grow up atheists. They're actually leaving religion, particularly Christianity. And I believe that Paul's words here in chapter 2, particularly what I'm getting at today, 14 to 26, they get at the kind of ministry that the world actually needs. And I'm pretty convinced that many Christians will not believe what I'm saying right now, at least not in the short run. That's why I'm grateful that Anders is recording this, because when I'm old, I can say, I told y'all so. Because <laughs> right, right now in the short run, people will do all we can to preserve the status quo, to preserve the institu institution that we know called church. So we'll focus on packing the, pack, uh, packing the pews rather than changing our posture toward the world and toward each other. We'll keep churning out leadership material based on business and military models, but not necessarily on making disciples. We'll keep raising up models of leaders who are gifted communicators, but not necessarily shepherds of people. And we'll keep pushing for the church to be politically relevant instead of countercultural and subversive. I'm telling you that Paul is talking about doing it a different way. Paul told Timothy a long time ago, and he's telling us today, use your tongues to honor God's word, to honor people, not to engage in the arguments. It's about using our hands as sacred utensils for godly service and avoiding foolish lusts. It's about our hearts being secure enough in Jesus that we can be non-combative, kind, and gentle in our teaching. That's the kind of man I try to be. That's the kind of ministry I believe in. Interestingly, to some people, the Apostle Paul's reputation is that of someone who hates women, who's homophobic, who's arrogant, maybe even self-righteous. And I understand where they're coming from, but I think we might have a tendency to miss Paul's sensitivity. Because can't you see it in these verses? Here's this man in prison talking about being non-quarrelsome, kind, able to teach, gentle. His concern for Timothy is coming through here. And I believe Paul's commitment for the truth is there, always has been there. But he's able, you know, while he's denouncing those who are in error, who've abandoned the faith, he at the same time is encouraging patience, encouraging this wise use of the tongue, encouraging a gentle, kind spirit. And, he, and he's pleading for the ability to teach more than an ability to woo a crowd. He says, apt teacher, not crowd gatherer. So Paul is keeping it real. And as the apostle is facing his last days, he tells his son, Timothy, how to lead in the way of Jesus. A worker, approved by God, nothing to be ashamed about, accurately handling God's word. How will you lead? Who will you follow? My encouragement today is for us to lead in this way and to follow leaders like this because God wants to do some awesome things through his people. And it might be different than the way things were done in earlier years. It might not be by Christians trying to bold over everybody and impress them with how great we are about everything. You know, if we want to make the church great again, maybe it's time to, maybe it's time to be humbler, loving, truthful, non-combative, trusting Jesus, 
and not worried about our reputation so much. This is different, and it can be hard. But this is what Paul is telling Timothy when he's about to go out, about to be executed. He's telling him what he needs for the future. Sisters and brothers, I'm encouraging us in the same way. Lord, I give you thanks for who you are. You are great and greatly to be praised. Lord, I thank you for everyone here today, and I just thank you, Lord, for the wonderful privilege I've had to serve in this church over these last six-plus years. And I continue to pray, Lord God, for each and every one here. Lord, Lord, there may be some here who are thinking about this message in a different way or in a fresh way or, or even in a challenging way. I just pray you continue to speak to their hearts and help them to um, uh, process and wrestle with what's in, these, in, the, in this text. And then I pray, Lord God, for anybody here who's maybe nervous about what does it mean to yield my life to the Lord and to give myself away, like we sang. What, what, what might it mean? Lord, I pray that you would help them to trust you enough that, that their future is secure in your hands. So I pray, Lord God, that you would uh, comfort that heart. And in this time of prayer, let them talk to someone and pray with someone who also believes in you and you and your goodness. So I pray, Lord God, thank you for this time. I invite our altar team to come. And if there is anyone who desires prayer, please feel free to come. You are entering a a no judgment zone. You are entering a zone of love and care. And I can vouch for the people on the prayer team that they simply want to go to God with you. And so I invite you to come. God bless you.